week's episode of the Green Door Podcast. I'm making my way to Rivendell to meet Ads in May for a very special council. We're going to discuss first meetings, powerful bloodlines, fairy tale love, sinister intentions, fairy abduction, love at first sight, and of course, Melian and Thingle. All this and more coming up right now. Oh my goodness, I'm lost again. Why is this place so hard to find? Now is it left at the rock, right at the tree? No, right at the, oh my word. Thank goodness for this GPS. Here we go. Oh, that's right, I recognize that tree. Or is that the same one I passed earlier? May, I made it. Uh, Sorry I'm late. Got a little lost, as I usually do. Uh, How do you guys find this place? Have you got uh, a map with moon runes? Is your GPS better than mine? I don't know. I think I might have taken a wrong uh, turn at Albuquerque. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say to that? (laughs) I was was using my Garmin. So, um, yeah, uh, luckily I'd been here before, so I already had the uh, the route planned into my, my watch. Um, ah, that's but it. yeah, good to be here. I have a new phone, and uh, my GPS kept sending me uh, left turns around that oak tree, and then I'd find myself right back at that oak tree. May, uh, <laughs> you were okay? Yeah, I kind of put a blindfold on my eyes, spun around a couple of times, and wished for fairy really hard. And for some reason, <laughs> I don't know, I found my way. <laughs> found my way. I need ruby slippers and a blindfold. Okay, now I know. <laughs> it's good to be here, though. Yeah, relaxing, yeah. peaceful, that, that uh, ever-present music and poetry. I don't know. I think I could, I could get used to taking naps around here. Uh, are, are you guys feeling yeah. that relaxed uh, sort, of, sort of vibe as well, Ads? No, definitely. The heart music is brilliant. It's just sit back, feet up, nice glass of, of wine, and... Um, yeah, listen to the harp music. Yeah, and, and our visitors, our guests, uh, are all welcome to join us in Rivendell this evening. And I, I did already speak to Elrond and get permission to light up a nice big fire for everyone. So, Ads, you want to work on that while uh, May and I start uh, welcoming all of the Green Door uh, listeners because tonight's uh, council will be starting soon. And we did say council because May and Ads and I were summoned here tonight. Uh, we'll get more, get back to more of that at the end of the show, though. But we're in Rivendell for a pretty special reason tonight. Uh, May, are you excited about that? I'm so excited. Guys, I've never been to an Elvish council before. What do I wear? Uh, you, what you're wearing is, is just fine. You can, you can be pretty casual and relaxed here. And I don't know where you got that toga, but uh, it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> I put... Yeah, Go ahead, May, please. <laughs> I put some hair extensions. Like my hair is down to my ankles. What do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, where did it, you get those? Where, where did you get those uh, eighteen-inch extensions, uh, May? You know, I just found them at the dollar store. Mm, fuchsia and citrine. <laughs> I hope it's not over the top, but you know, and these plastic ears here. Yeah, I'll blend <laughs> in just fine. Yeah, over the top, pun intended. 
Uh, I'll put my blonde wig on. Yeah, yes. I, I see that. <laughs> um, for, for actual footage of ads in his blonde wig, please refer to May K. Hella's uh, first or second vlog, and you can see ads looking stunning as an elf. Um, Splendid. Kidding aside, let's get that fire started uh, so we can uh, start the show and start talking about a beautiful chapter, uh, a love story that, uh, well, the three of us, frankly, have interpreted it interpreted it differently and i spend a little bit of time in chat rooms talking about um tolkien and i know ads does as well and may is uh finding her way in there and i like that uh we have three different takes on this tonight because uh a couple of things that you guys see in this in this uh chapter weren't obvious to my eyes and um i'm looking forward to sort of seeing what the listeners think as well because that's sort of the the great thing about good writing is is uh there's something in it for everyone and, and we all have our, our personal experiences. And so when we read uh, something like this page and a half, it's amazing how we can all have slightly different interpretations of exactly the motives and uh, the reasons behind everything. Um, May. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you specifically sort of asked me some questions that got me thinking um, more about why all this stuff happened. And uh the word sinister um, is something I've never applied to this chapter before, but we're going to talk about um, sinister intentions uh, at least a little bit uh, when we talk about of uh, Melian and Thingle tonight. So uh, I, I hope the listeners are looking forward to that. Ads, have you got matches to light up that fire? I have. Okay, here goes. And while Ads lights up the fire, on behalf of May and Ads and myself, I'd like to welcome everybody who made the time to find us uh, tonight. The Green Door podcast is starting to roll now with our eighth episode. And although we've staggered the release dates to keep you on your toes, um, <laughs> we're trying to put them out every two to three weeks, and we will continue to try to do that, uh, our schedules permitting. Uh, I did want to mention, uh, I try to do this every week and often forget because uh, the people who stand behind us uh, do so so regularly that it's easy to uh, to not remember they're there. But Ads and May and myself have um, spouses and children, and the spouses make it possible for us to get together, even though um, Rivendell is really far from uh, the UK and Canada. Uh, we make our way every week together, and they take care of the kids and manage, manage everything so that we can record these podcasts. So right off the top of the show, a shout-out. Uh, to our wonderful better halves uh, who make this yeah. uh, recording thing possible. Yeah, that's here, here. right. Definitely. That's right. Definitely. Thank you. Um, not that mine ever listens to the show, so I, I, I can say as many wonderful things as I want, and uh, he'll just have to <laughs> believe me that I said them. But uh, no, I, I know that uh, it's not easy for us to do this, and this particular episode was sort of put off um, for a little longer than usual because of um, schedules not lining up. And so just for our listeners to understand, as much as we love and we do love podcasting about Tolkien, uh, sometimes the reality of, of life gets in the way and uh, we, we go longer than two or three weeks before we publish. So there you are. Yeah, and, and also, and also, James, I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm sure people are fully aware now that you guys are currently sat there and it's, what, five o'clock in the afternoon. It's currently 10 o'clock at night for me. So it's, it's pretty difficult to find a time that fits around the families, the kids, um, with all three of us because there's five hours difference. Yeah, that makes that's a challenge. Plus, all, all of our children are young. I think if we were yeah. doing this project and when we're doing this project in you know five eight years from now, and our children are older, it'll be a whole different ball game. But uh, yeah. be bedtimes and supper times involve a lot of hands. So uh, yeah, that's it. I wanted to do a, a quick shout to the people who uh, take care of us and let us play our uh, our podcasting game. So, having said that, 
uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful vantage point here to take out a mithril bag inside the hallowed chambers, the hallowed trees, the hallowed places here in Rivendell. Um, the firelight will shine beautifully on it. Let's, uh, let's take out that, that mailbag and talk about um, the people who uh, support and participate with us. Let's talk about Facebook, let's talk about Twitter, and then dive into uh, a listener question, ads. You want to take it from there? Absolutely. No, absolutely. So Twitter, Facebook have been really busy since we last recorded. So as per usual, I'm just going to go through a list starting with Twitter of everyone that's interacted with uh, ourselves. So we have Kyle at Tumbling Sabre. Uh, we have Dave Donovan, Jeff Lasala. We have Joel W. Hallbaker uh, at Real Life Leading. We have Caitlin, the fantastic Caitlin at Grim Cookies. Matt uh, at Salvatore underscore Chief. We have Olga at Melody underscore Muse. Uh, Jay Glover Arts with his fantastic um, drawings. We have Coleman Gray, Sean E. Marchese of the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, we have Diaphenia, J.R. Hansen, Lou Thingol, uh, Mithalil, Andy Bird, Matt Spatzel, Karina, Andy Kelly, Karen, and... Last but not least, and I've worked out how to do this now, your art sucks. So yeah, it's a, sh- it's a shame you figured out how to do that so well because we got such a good laugh out of that the first time around. <laughs> yeah, I, I, listening back to the last one, um, I was crying with laughter. So that, was, that was pure elation. I want to take a, a minute here as well to say about um, Twitter to look forward to... Um, Something uh, a little bit new and bigger coming from the the at Star Wars people, and specifically uh, Rob Wade at Emotionally 14. Um, You may hear us mentioning him more and more as time goes on. We really love Rob Mm. and supporting what he's doing. So uh, a little shout to him now and more to come on that um, in a future podcast. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so that's Twitter, and you know, please continue what you're doing. It's fantastic to interact with with all of you. You know, whether it's every day or once a week or, or whatever, it's just great to hear from you. Great to hear feedback. Um, it is. So please please comment. To do that. Um, please share. Please continue to, like Ad said, do what you're doing. It really makes us smile to hear um, when you say something about a podcast. Oh, that made me laugh, or I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, or just sharing images of your favorite stuff. All of it. When I see my Twitter. Um, um, notifications light up and it's from the green door group uh, it always puts a smile on my face there's so many fun and interesting people in there so uh, thank thanks for playing with us definitely definitely and also we have a facebook group as no doubt you are aware now Yay! so the green the green door <laughs> the green door podcast and we are now 79 in total so we've had a really good couple of weeks uh, and we've had 14 new uh, members, new new people for the fellowship, as it's, it's being called in there. So we have Barry Madden, Ben Bassett, Christopher Coleman, Cyril Guy, uh, Caitlin Fasista, Catherine Ross, Liv Chambliss, Mark Magum, Marlin Parsons, Michael Mullady, Nora Holtby, Rhonda Goodman, Russell Robertson, and last but not least, Ryan Zimmerman. So I hope I got your names right there. Please tell me if I didn't. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for getting involved. Welcome, yeah. To the everyone. Facebook group is super fun. May uh, you you and um, you and the Facebook group are starting to get along more and more. And you've been taking care of our Instagram uh, group, which I actually don't really know what's going on because I'm a dinosaur. 
and I'm uh, <laughs> I'm just so unawares of Instagram. But how, how are we doing over there, May? We're doing great, guys. Uh, people on Instagram are showing some love. Um, it's a wonderful community full of gorgeous visuals. Uh, we are currently at. We're currently at 191 followers. So, awesome. yes. So, um, so ads, I'm going to get over there and be the 196. I should probably <laughs> follow our own. No, I do. I follow it. I just don't know how to, I just don't know how to use it. <laughs> so, but, um, no, May, May created that. And if you didn't uh, know, we do have that Instagram group. Uh, how can they find us on Instagram, May? So Instagram would be the green door podcast, all in one word. Awesome. And how can they find you on YouTube while we're plugging things? So while we're plugging things, uh, look for May K Hella, M-A-M-A-Y-K, letter K, period, Hella, H-E-L-L-A. That's the YouTube video. And you can find um, also a a Facebook page, a website and whatnot. Um, Come and say hello. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> do do it do it do it do it you'll uh, you won't regret it because may's got some really interesting and fun content and she cares about the videos she makes and you can tell when you watch them that that's the truth so go check her yeah, out i mean no absolutely I and mean, what i'd say about may's last video is not only is she in lycra but um there is <laughs> <laughs> there is there is actually a really really fantastic sort of four minute uh, chat to camera that you do and it was it was brilliant i thought it was really really good so more of the same uh, go check her out awesome uh and that brings us next to that beautiful piece of mithril woven together uh to hold our letters uh we'll call this section dwarf mail uh, i should get some theme music for dwarf mail so when i say dwarf mail um, something's going to play behind that uh, now i've set myself up so i'm going to have to do it in the editing room <laughs> Uh, and, and ads, can you hold that thing up and give it a shake and a shimmer for everybody? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, nice. what, a, what a work of art. It is. And uh, and looks heavy, but it, it really isn't. Uh, May, give that a, pick, pick that thing up. It looks like it uh, should be a lot heavier than it is. Pass it over? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it is so, it is it's, so it's light. It's like when you grab the milk carton. Yes. I think the milk's going to be full. Yes. Um, but it's not, and you almost spill it over the ceiling. That's yeah, right. So, <laughs> uh, can can you then um, pull out uh, a piece of dwarf mail and pass it over to ads for us, please? Yeah, right in there. Oh, it's actually pretty deep. I'm down to my shoulder in this thing. It's like Mary Poppins' bag. Oh, here we go. Okay, ads. There you go. Okay, cheers, mate. Right. Well, this looks like it's this is from Mark, um, and he he has a question as follows. So. He says, I'm loving the theatrical element. Can't wait to hear more, guys. So that must be in reference to our little skit um, that we did in the previous episode, um, or the one before that, maybe. Also, so do we think that the Silmarils were created with the same kind of magic as the One Ring of Power? This would explain why they hold such an endearing hold over whoever looks upon them. Okay. What do you think, James? Well, uh, it is, it's a really good question that we certainly um, would love to talk about, just not yet ads. I think we'll, until we get to the Silmarils, uh, for some readers who are following us, we do have a, a few who don't know this story. Um, I don't want to jump ahead too far. No, that's a so, fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, I think we put a pin in that. I did, have, I did find something really interesting today, a letter uh, that Tolkien wrote to uh, Milton Waldman, the editor in 1951, about magic. And he basically, yeah. um, he says, he compares 
uh, magic to a machine. And, and he basically says that, that um, you know, anytime we try to unnaturally, you know, uh, achieve something against nature, speed it up, speed up the process, fight death, anything like that, that's, that's sort of an attempt at magic. And although we don't associate modern machines with magic, um, that really machines are our closest thing that we have to magic. Um, whereas uh, some, some would argue, you know, magic in his stories is really science. The elves have uh, developed this, the art of science. And, and he mentions that as well. But uh, I'm going to put a link in the show, uh, excuse me, in, the, um, in this episode to this letter because it's interesting um, to Mark's point uh, how Tolkien uses magic in his stories and he uses them in the Silmarillion and he uses, them, he uses magic again sparingly in the Lord of the Rings. And this letter to the uh, editor really sort of gives you a neat perspective as to how Tolkien viewed exactly what magic was. So I'll put, I'll put that link in the show notes and we'll put okay. a pin in the question and come back to it when we're a little deeper into the book. How does that sound, uh, ads in May? That, no, that sounds great. That sounds great. Luckily... We we have got one other very exciting bit of news that we can maybe just discuss quickly at this point, um, with regards to a new yeah, book. Uh, I, I think uh, I think that that uh, mailbag doesn't look so empty. There ads. Uh, we got a little surprise in the bottom of that thing. We have, and if I just reach in and take take the book out, we have a copy of the fall of Gondolin that because we're at Rivendell we've luckily been able to borrow and this will be released on the 30th of August this year uh, which is really exciting it's so exciting I mean a lot of fans of of the legendarium uh, call this their favorite story Um, the fall of Gondolin is an epic tale and I think, as to be fair to our listeners, we shouldn't read this advanced copy until it's actually released for everybody else. Just you know, so we're, that we're on the same page as our listeners are, even though we do actually have this advanced copy that is in your actual hands right now, and we're not just making it up. I have to give it back. <laughs> just don't curve the edges. Uh, there what? you go. <laughs> oh, handle, handle it with care. No dog earring. Um, I, I, uh, I think it's really fun uh, that that story is coming out because I don't have enough books on my shelf yet, and neither does ads. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll be purchasing that for sure, and I'll, we'll probably find one on, uh, make sure one finds its way onto May's shelf as well. But yeah, uh, that, it, that news is exciting, and, and most fans have heard it, but we thought we would at least mention it since uh, it's probably uh, the last book. Uh, that will come out um, that was written by Tolkien, edited by Christopher. Although, we've said that before, so who knows? Yeah, no, it, look, it looks fascinating. I mean, it's going to be along the same lines as the Beren and Luthien um, book that was released a few years ago, and there's illustrations by Alan Lee. Um, I mean, just the cover alone, y- you look at it and you think, I need that for my bookshelf. Yeah, it should be um, really exciting for uh, comp- completionists. I think uh, we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Definitely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, the Silmarillion. Specifically, we're looking at one chapter tonight, but we'll also be referencing back to the chapter we covered last week. Because if you were with us, you'll remember we said we were going to sort of skip over some genealogy stuff when it came to the elves. And we would come to it this week when we had a shorter um, chapter to cover. And since the chapter itself is only uh, less than two pages, this is a good time to talk about uh, the elves. Now... 
there are so many names in this book to begin with. And then yeah. um, elves themselves love language and words and, and come up with a bunch of different names for everything, including themselves. And we have a sundering or separating of the different um, groups of elves right near the very beginning, which gives them a whole other plethora of names. So uh, we talked about this pre-show, May adds, uh, that uh, the Prancing Pony and Alistair Stevens and, and a bunch of other really good ones, uh, podcasts, uh, technically break down sort of the, uh, the facts and the ins and outs and go behind the scenes and explain things in great detail. And Yeah, definitely. Uh, they're great. Check them out. Uh, we do, and we love them for it. Our podcast tries to be a little bit um, lighter. We, we like to think our, of ourselves as, as the, uh, the fun podcast, if, if, the, if they're the literary um, heavy hitters. And so while this part needs explaining, we're not going to try to go too deep um, and we're really just going to cover the what, what you need to know. Uh, we're going to cover the mm. basics of, of getting through the elves and, and who went where and what the names mean. So with that in mind, um, May, when you read this for the you know um, second, third time, because you probably read it a couple of times, I know, I know how, you, how you work, did you struggle? Because I've read this chapter, oof, I must have read this chapter 10 times now, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I fully understood it, I don't know that I still fully understand all the breakdown of, of what happened with all the L's, but I'm, I'm getting close now after 10 reads. It's, it's tough. Did you struggle a little bit to follow what was going on? Well, on my first read, following my first read, I think I just wanted to take, like, matches and burn the book because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what no, That's is fair, going though. On? That's totally fair. And, yeah. and um, a little shout-out to our friend Karen and our friend Carlos. Uh, this will be their first time reading this chapter. And yep. uh, I just want to give yeah. you guys a word of encouragement. Stick with it. <laughs> if you start seeing like too many words that you have trouble just reading through or pronouncing or whatnot, just it's okay. Let your gaze glaze over these funny words and uh, try to try to get just basically the meat of this chapter. It's a very short chapter, but oh my, is it ever packed with stuff and good stuff. Um, yeah, no doubt. So, so uh, again, like uh, just as you mentioned, uh, Tolkien has a knack for <laughs> um, naming something and then renaming it again, and then perhaps giving it a third name just for the sake of it. So you really, it's like a really rich world building, but it's like it could be like overbearing when you're first introduced to it. Um, but you guys will do, I'm sure, a spectacular job at just uh, extracting the essence of of all this information so um, I hope so that's yeah. going to be the goal and uh, I guess the listeners can let us know if we did any of that after we're done hacking away but yeah that's what we're trying to do is extract the essence well put May ads um, yes. let's, let's start talking a little bit about uh, two groups of elves right at the very beginning when the elves awaken um, it's uh, suggested to them that they return to Valinor to Aman to uh, excuse me to Aman to um to see the light of the trees and, and to be counseled. Um, it, there are three elves in particular who are brought to a man immediately and sent back to convince the host. Um, uh, those three elves become pretty important. We'll get to them in a minute. But the, of the two uh, groups, um, we start with two names right away. So when the elves are summoned, some say, yes, we'll go, and some already, right off the bat, refuse. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Those are the Eldar and the Avare, or the Avari, excuse me. Um, the Eldar are the ones who say, yeah, we'll go to, we'll, we'll um, receive your summons and we will answer the call and we will make the trek and we will go to Amman. Even yeah, if so some they, of them didn't make it, um, they're called the Eldar. Yes. So this is coming, you know, they they awoke in uh, Kuvienen and they've then been summoned. And as you said, the Eldar, uh, the elves of the great journey from Kuvienen, whereas the Avari are the unwilling, the elves who refused the great journey. Right. And all of this, um, by the way, if you're listening, turn to the back of your copy of the Silmarillion. Um, right after the last page, there's there starts uh, to be some flowcharts. Turn to the uh, the one that has to do with the elves, uh, titled The Elves, uh, Kendi, and Eldar and Avari uh, appear right at the top. Uh, turn to that page because it will make it much easier for you, uh, it did for me anyways, to sort of yeah. have a, the visual of, um, of sort of what everything means. Now... It will, James. Just one thing. While I, while I, while we're at this point, that is is not only brilliant now; it will become even more brilliant once you've read it, because it, it really, as as May said, it gives you the essence right there. And so, as you read the, the sort of chapters ahead, if you keep referring back to to this diagram on this page, you will pick things up. You will understand things far better as a result. Big time. I totally agree with that. Use the, you know, get, get you familiar with where that uh, chart is and the charts that surround it. Um, so yeah, from, from them, so let's forget about the ones who decided not to go and just know that um, from this point on, any elves who never saw the light of the trees will eventually become the dark elves. Dark because they never saw the light. And any elves... Yeah, that, not... Go ahead. I was just going to say, not dark because they're evil dark right. because they literally did not see the light of the trees of a man. Correct. Uh, good, actually, good point to make. And um, and then the ones who do make it um, become the, the, the light elves, the, the elves who have seen the light. And basically there are um, a, a couple different groups uh, of elves that do make it to see the trees. And here's my, here's the simplest way I can put it that works in my mind. Basically, when the three elves who went to Amman first uh, are sent back to convince the hosts, there's sort of like three schools of thought. There's, there's a group of elves who are super keen to go, and one of the elves takes them straight away, and they make it first. Um, there's a secondary group of elves who want to go, but aren't quite as committed and take longer. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a third group who um, aren't, they, they want to go see the light, but they really aren't in any hurry at all. And the first group is called the Vanyar, the second group is called the Noldor, and the third group is called the Teleri. The ones yes. who want to go right away, straight away, are the Vanyar, and those ones go, uh, and they actually never come back. They make it to a man, they're so in love with everything about it that they stay there. Um, and we, there's not a lot to, to, more to say about them, so you, it's not an, as an important name as the other ones. Noldor and Teleri no. are more important names to remember. Um, adds anything you want to add about the uh, Vanyar before I move on to the Noldor? No, I mean, I think, I think you pretty much summed it up, and the only thing I suppose is that, you know, their, their, their king, Ingwe, mm-hmm. is probably considered the high king, uh, and it talks in the text of him sort of sitting at the foot of the gods, 
you yep. know he, he is considered the highest of, of all elves and you know as you've said he goes and he never ever comes back so yeah the light of a man is, is uh, satiating for him to the point where he never needs to return to see Middle Earth the, uh, the second group the Noldor uh, basically they go uh, they make it, and uh, eventually they do return, but we'll get to that later. And the Teleri, not all of them make it. In fact, uh, a lot of them don't. Uh, the Teleri linger. Uh, they're, it says in the text they're sort of as afraid of the journey's end as they are excited about it. Um, they're sort of fearful, and they love Middle-earth, and they love the light of the stars. And something happens in a very short chapter we're about to talk about um, yeah. that delays uh, their journey, and, and for a lot of them... Um, what happens to their king, Thingol, who we're about to talk about, uh, keeps them from ever seeing the light of a man. So, mm. I mean, there's almost like a second sundering, isn't there? A second separation to do right. with the Teleri. Absolutely there is. Um, and sundering is, is, a, is a fancy word that comes up a, a lot of times that, that uh, I, I basically... Um, if you look at the chart, uh, they've been sundered or separated many times. Uh, there's a whole mm. bunch of divisions. So when you talk about the sundering of the elves, it's hard to pinpoint it to one exact event. Uh, there were many happenstances that split them up for for different reasons. Yeah. Um, but so that's that's a, a good start. And May, do you want to pipe in with a question or to add something? Maybe I just wanna I just wanna uh, express my appreciation for that word Teleri. Um, Teleri being the last group of elves who travels very, very slowly back to Amman. Yes. And telos, telos is a Greek word that means, it means the end. Uh, I'm thinking also like a sci in science, we have like telomeres on chromosomes and whatnot. So it, it, it has this vibe of being the tail end of something, the end of something. So in this case, it would be hmm. like the last group of folk that uh, migrate towards towards yeah. Amman. So, um, I, yeah, I like that. I like the linguistics of it. So, I think Alan is probably going to have something to say uh, about that, so I hope he eventually makes it to this show. Alan, chime in with what you think about uh, May's feedback there, but that's the kind of stuff that's really fun to add, and I'm sure it's, uh, it's not accidental that you caught that, May. No. Um, so uh, th that's a, a good start. So you've got three groups of elves, uh, a group that heads there uh, immediately and stays, a group that heads there pretty much immediately uh, and eventually returns, and then a group that gets subdivided again. And the third group was led by a guy uh, who gets a couple of names in the text. Um, and basically we're going to call him Thingol, as much as possible because it's the easiest name to remember and the other names uh, are too similar anyways to, to a bunch of names in the story uh, Elu sounds like Eru Alu Thingol um, is his full name but Thingol is a, a good way to remember him especially since that's uh, part of the title of the next chapter and that third group being led by Thingol um, has been tarrying is the tail end is the last group uh, to be making its way to Amman and at some point in their journey, um, their king gets uh, distracted. So before we, th and that's our cue to jump into the chapter. So before we start talking about what costs them um, their vision of the trees, what costs his people uh, basically their their chance to see the uh, the trees in a man and the light of a man, um, let's talk about uh, the elves themselves 
And let's talk about um, how the dark elves in this story mean, as Ads said, uh, elves that never saw the light of the trees. But Tolkien was was inspired by Norse myth and may, I think, has something to say about dark elves as well. You want to take that as your cue, May? Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in the Norse saga, we have very few surviving documents that describe elves or alfar, as they're called in, um, in Old Norse. But whatever we do have uh, divides elves into two categories. We have the light elves who live under the sun, who are said to be the fairest and are they're of, often associated with Freyr. Freyr is the god of agriculture and fertility. Um, as opposed to the light elves, we also have the dark elves who dwell beneath the earth. And sometimes there is room for confusion because we're not sure if the sagas are referring to elves in particular or if they're just using a different uh, way of naming dwarves. Uh, because... Elves in general are also great smithsmen, um, and in this case, in the case of dark elves, uh, not only are they great at forging things and crafting things, but they also live underground. So they live in darkness. So yeah, well, I, you, I mean, it's very obvious. We've talked about it lots of times on this show, and, and there's lots of documentation out there. But it's very obvious that he, um, you know, took, borrowed, and, and stole. Uh, lots of ideas from Norse mythology, but that's another one that's just, uh, it, it's woven in in his own way, but obviously, um, you know, heavily inspired from those ideas. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But but as I say, probably at every episode that we uh, we discuss the influence of, uh, of the sagas on Tolkien's work, uh, he is a wonderful, Tolkien is a wonderful retailer. He's a master at taking a myth and crafting it, making it, making it his own. And I think that in and of itself just, you know, commands respect and uh, appreciation for sure for, for how wonderful of a job he does at spinning something on its head. For, absolutely. And it, it actually, it's a good opportunity talking about the light and dark elves and how the dark elves um, underground were confused for, uh, um, you know, the confusion between dwarves and, and elves and what exactly was being referred to. Tolkien, uh, we didn't talk about this much when we did uh, of Ole and of Yavanna, but uh, it says right at the beginning of the chapter, when Ole made the uh, dwarves, he was making them in the image of the elves that he, that he held in his mind from the music. And it says, um, and Ole made the dwarves even as they are, because the forms of the children who were to come were unclear in his mind, and because the power of Melkor was yet over the earth. Uh, and he wished, therefore, that they should be strong and unyielding. So basically, he was yeah. trying to trying to emulate the the elves, also trying to make elves himself, um, but just he couldn't remember exactly what they looked like. And the planet at that time was so harsh that uh, his his version of them ended up being a little stouter and a little sturdier, a little stockier, um, just because of the conditions that he thought they'd have to live in. Uh, whereas the children were awakening at a later time when the world would be a, a little bit at least, um, the, the edges were rounded off. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think all of that sort of interweaves itself really nicely between um, where he got his ideas for these elves and dark elves and light elves and dwarves, which will remind everyone again, were made under the ground, just like May said. Yep. Awesome. Um, I did want to talk about that. I'd, we'd forgotten to, and I wanted to mention the shape of the dwarves uh, and, and sort of why they were the way they were. So uh, thanks for that, guys, indulging me. Let's move on now then to 
uh, of Thingol and Melian. Um, I think the chapter itself for me, I'll, I'll start by saying um, I'm going to have the most naive take on this chapter. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm aware that it is uh, such the most naive take. Because to me, this uh, is, a, is basically uh, a story about pure love. Um, the, the pureness uh, of true love. And the um, description of Melian is such that she is so beautiful and good being um, the Maya of Mother Nature, um, being uh, the designer of uh, many wonderful and beautiful things, flowers and, and birds and uh, etc. with you know her, her mistress Yavana teaching her and, and schooling her. Um, and she's described as compassionate and uh, the wisest of all of the um, uh, wiser than everybody in Middle Earth anyways, it says at one point in the chapter. So she's, she's super smart. Um, and to me, uh, it, it describes also how even the Ainur themselves, even some of the Maya and the uh, Valar are captured in, by, uh, by her when she sings in Amman. And it says in the chapter here that she, once she hears the elves are awakened, she's, um, she's struck, she's inspired to leave immediately and go, and she wants to help them in any way she can. She's one of the only, uh, of all the Ainu who leave immediately to go and help them and be with them. And um, Ads and I and May were discussing, and you'll see their takes are, are a little bit different, but we were discussing whether or not then Thingol who comes across her in the woods um, is enchanted by her um, or falls um, falls under her like falls under her spell that she was casting or is just um, falls in love because she is so enchanting uh, and for me I I always took it as she was it, it, it's it's uh, the description of love at first sight it's how the professor um, felt that love felt to him when it was all-encompassing, uh, sort of like he describes later with, with Baron and Luthien. But there, is other, there are other things to see in here. So when, yeah. I, when we were talking about it, um, I think we'll take uh, May's view next because it's a little more different than mine and, and adds sort of falls somewhere in the middle. But May, you saw some stuff in there that you were, you were wondering the motives of, and maybe your take was a little less um, naive than mine. What, what did you want to say about what... Uh, your interpretation was well if we just run through the structure of what actually happens in this chapter in a three beats <laughs> three beat structure so we get the first thing that happens is boy meets girl then we have love at first sight then we have a resolution where boy meet boy and girl become king and queen and live on happily after so that's kind of like the meat of what happens um what I saw when I read this, I saw a, cla a classic case of fairy abduction. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, if, we, if we think back on, let's say, uh, on the Celtic lore, uh, the presence of fairy, um, these creatures that lure mortals into this other world and other world being like capital O, capital W. Um, and they do so with a purpose in mind. And there's, um, there's a, a time lapse, there's missing time for the victim. And then the victim is eventually restituted into 
the normal world, uh, but they come back changed, forever changed. So for me, that was that's how I saw this. Um, anybody who's familiar with uh, Mysterious Universe podcast, I don't know if you guys listen to them or not, but they have these fantastic stories from all around the world, and this would be, according to them, a classic case of missing 411. So, um, Thingle being um, lured into the forest for XYZ. Perhaps he likes to hunt. He goes into the forest, uh, becomes compelled by uh, a fantastic sound, like something gets his attention. Uh, he is then guided by birds who could be seen as an enchantment or an extension of the enchantment of the fae, uh, Melian being the fae, and is lured deeper into the unknown until he reaches like the deepest part of the forest and meets the enchantress. And as soon as there is a physical connection between uh, the two characters, uh, time shifts. So we have, um, we enter this other world. We enter a at a time outside of time. Um, and as they say in this in, in this chapter, um, so they, they stand staring at each other for ages, the trees are growing around them, the stars are shifting, and they just are. And while this is happening, um, Fingal's uh, men are actually looking for him, and there is a possibility that they did actually make it to the clearing and they just didn't see him there because he is not in this reality, he's rather in the other world, um, which would be consistent, again, with, like, Celtic lore, with uh, Missing 411, um, where you have stories of people raking, searching forests, and, you know, a certain clearing has been visited many times over by uh, search patrols, and nothing comes up, and then in the end, the victim is found exactly in the spot where they were not uh, moments before. So, um... So that being said, so uh, I was, uh, when I read this, I was questioning Melian's motives for um, casting a spell on Fingal. And I was, I was also questioning the, like how genuine uh, Fingal's attraction was for her. So was it just really love at first sight? Was it uh, something pure yes. such as that, and I know James will say yes, or was it something <laughs> rather that he was under a certain enchantment that was altering his senses and making him more um, receptive to her attributes, let's say, you know? And I also wondered why or if Melian heard the search parties, if she was aware, because she is the enchantress, she's the spellcaster, so she's in control of the situation. Is she aware of um, his men looking for him? And if she is aware, does she do it on purpose to keep him to herself, you know? I would say that she was not, in, in my take, she was not casting a spell. He was under her enchantment, but an enchantment like... Um, uh, that that she's not uh, emitting by design. That he's he's uh, under an enchantment that exists because she exists, not because she's um, putting a spell on anybody. And I'll agree with you to a certain point because uh, even before she goes to uh, to see the elves, when she's still in Amman, she sings. The birds start stop chirping. People stop what they're doing. Water stops flowing. I mean, that's like an incredible like amount of. Uh, effect that she has on her surroundings. 
So there is a, a base enchantment that I think everybody is susceptible to. But when he does end up touching her, something more happens. So that's when time freezes. And I think, I think uh, there's something more to this. And I think as you're going to chime in with your take on, on uh, Melian's motives or perhaps on the bigger picture of why she actually um, ends up doing this. Um, but... Um, it's it's easy for me to see like a sinister side to like her actions uh, because that's what I do. <laughs> you know, when I when I'm crafting a story, I always have to think about character motives. So why is someone acting this way? What's the hidden agenda? What's the plot twist hiding somewhere? You know, so I'll kind of go in and look for uh, the undertone. You know, and in this case, perhaps. There is no undertone. Perhaps it is love at first sight. Perhaps it is something that's pure and sappy. And <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you're so cynical. But um, well, and I think too, it helps for me. my my take is also affected by the by uh, an understanding of what happens of that relationship and how. Melian behaves afterwards, and and your mog- your memory's foggier on that. So oh, um, I have no memory. Yeah, I have. I have these ideas. That's right. Because I have. I have. I don't have the perspective that you guys have because I'm kind of like taking it as face value. But I I can I can appreciate this tale from from let's say if I if I kind of do a copy paste of transposing this tale onto a classical case of fairy abduction, then I get the sinister undertones. If I think about this as being, again, Tolkien's fantastic way of retelling a story and kind of like making it his his own, then we can remove this darker aspect and we can kind of just uh, stick with the essence of purity. Well, I I think your your nose for motive is going to serve you really well. And there's, there's a character coming up called Maeglin. Who you're just gonna absolutely love, and and his and the and his, the object of his affection will be uh, a woman who I think you're gonna see a lot uh, in common with. But before we get way ahead of ourselves, ads. Um, yes. Let's talk about what you think might be the reasons, um, narratively, and also just uh, your interpretations of this chapter. <clears throat> and uh, May, before we do that, just quickly thank you uh, for that awesome take. Uh, ads, all yours, buddy. Okay, yeah, I've been keeping my powder dry a little bit, just listening to the two of you. And I, I agree with both of you in, in sort of different ways. So what I'd like to do is read a short part from the previous chapter. For sure. So it says, And the host of the Teleri passed over the Misty Mountains and crossed the wide lands of Eridor, being urged on by Elway Singolo. So that is Thingol. That was his name. For he was eager to return to Valinor and the light that he had beheld. And he wished not to be sundered from the Noldor, for he had great friendship with Finway, their lord. So that's the, that's the, the mindset of Thingol. We then, we then discover a little bit about Melian, so skilled in songs of enchantment it is told that the Valar would leave their works and the birds of Valinor their mirth 
that the bells of Valmar were silent and the fountains ceased to flow when at the mingling of the lights, Melian sang in Lorien. So when I read that, the first thing that jumped into my head was the Pied Piper. Um, so, you know, this enchanting music that makes, you know, in that, in that story, the children uh, or the rats, um, you know, come, you know, come and follow the Piper. So she has this, this power with, with music. Um, it also says that nightingales went with Melian and she taught them their song. So she's you know, teaching the birds how to present this, uh, this music as well. That doesn't mean at this point that it's, it's not love at first sight, but you know, I'm just putting the backstory there. Later on in the chapter, we find that Thingol is out in the woods seeking Fimway. So consistent still with the previous, the previous sort of chapter, the fact that he, he wanted to find Fimway, his great friend. He wanted to go back to a man. And then suddenly he heard the song of nightingales. And an enchantment fell on him. So at that point, he's already under the spell of this song. Um, he then hears the voice of Melian. So it's not love at first sight. It's sort of song at first. It's love listen. at first sound. Yeah. yeah, okay. So he's, I mean, he's heard the nightingales first. He's not heard Melian, he's heard the nightingales first, and he has become enchanted at that point. That is true, but it's sort of like a preview to her voice since they learned their song from her. Uh, but no, good point. Continue, please. Then he hears the voice of Melian, and it says, It filled his heart with wonder and desire. He forgot then utterly all his people and all the purposes of his mind. Now that, to me, that is going a little bit towards what May is saying. There is, there is something a little bit, um, a little bit unright about that. I don't, I don't necessarily consider that his love um, to Melian more part of the magic, the enchantment that had been put on him. See, to um, me, that was uh, a metaphor for how it feels to be in love. Like, I remember when I fell in love and what I thought was important in my life was no longer important. And to me, that was like a poetic way of describing what it feels like to fall in love. True. Maybe, but but maybe my, do, do my you, take is too pure. Do you see, do you see, the, the, do you see the distinction, though, in, in the actual text where it says he heard the song of nightingales and then an enchantment fell on him? Oh, yeah. I, I do think that they, they use the word enchantment on purpose. I think that he was enchanted by this um, demigoddess. Like, there's, there's no doubt. I just don't think the enchantment, um, in my mind, was uh, ill-intended or even was on purpose. I think that enchantment existed because she existed, not because she was actively putting out a spell. That, yeah, again, I, 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 I don't think I, it's I, wrong to perceive it the way you guys... Are saying. I, I wonder. No, don't, don't get me wrong, because I thought that the first time. I wonder. Sorry, I mate. wonder if because because this chapter or this part of the story is in Thingol's point of view. We don't know what's going on in Melian's mind. That's why it's no. open for discussion. But I wonder if she targeted him particularly. You know, it could have been. Can I can I say yeah. something? Can I just because you you've you've led me perfectly onto the next thing I was going to say. Go for it. 
I my my interpretation of this is that Melian was sent rather than decided to go herself to Middle Earth. I don't think she went because she wanted to necessarily. I think she was sent. And this is this is going to other texts, but in, in Morgoth's ring, so the annals of our men, before Melian depart, departs from Middle-earth, she actually goes up to uh, Tenequitil to look upon the stars, it says. Now, Manway lives up there, so who's to say Manway hasn't directed, courtesy of a certain, you know, Aru, that Melian needs to go to Middle-earth because she needs to play a really important part in the story that's about to come out. She needs to intercept Thingol. She needs to fall in love or have him fall in love with her because if they don't you don't then get the bloodline that comes through if they don't then Thingol is going to go to a man there is no stopping him he is determined to go I wonder whether or not actually it is fated that at least one of those original three that's seen the light has to remain on Middle Earth because without that you wouldn't have you know, those family lines that then follow through and become such an important part of the story. Well, you're right. They do become an important part. I, I like the, I like a lot of parts of that take. It's not, I don't think I, I buy a lot of what you just said, only because um, a bunch of the Noldor saw the light and then came back to Middle-earth. Like, Galadriel saw the trees and stuff. Um, so there, there were lots of elves who had that, that same sort of setup. But more than that, I think... Um, I, I don't buy that she was sent. Uh, for me, she was Yavanna's Maya. Yavanna was one of the two um, Ainur who was really convinced that the right thing to do was to go, um, once the elves awoken, was to go to Middle-earth. So it makes sense mm-hmm. to me that her Maya, her Maya would agree with her and feel that way and just, you know, the, the sending part is what I don't, um, I don't know that I, I, I don't think that I can say you're wrong. I'm not saying like, you know, you're wrong. No, no, to, it's an interpretation, but, absolutely. We don't get a motive but, yeah. for her to go. It's not explained. There's no motive for her to end up there. And kind of a, a pull that she feels like it, it doesn't feel like a rational thought or decision. It's not like she acted. All it, love. No, all it says, all it says in the text is uh, she was akin before the world was made to Yavanna herself. And in that time when the Quende awoke beside the waters of Kuvienen, she departed from Valinor and came to the Hitherlands. And there she filled the silence of Middle-earth before the dawn with her voice and the voices of her birds. Hmm. Yeah, so it really doesn't say much at all in terms of, you know, why she left. You're right, the, very open to interpretation. Um, because my, my view would be that if she, if she has gone... Um, if she's gone for a purpose, then she is like a Gandalf, for example. Gandalf was given a job to do, wasn't he? He was told to go and, uh, you know, look out for X, Y, and Z. Now, if if Melian has gone with a certain job to do, then you could argue that she has she's met Thingol, she has given birth to, you know, Luthien, etc., etc. If she hasn't and she's just turned up then what exactly is she doing? Uh, yeah. Because she, she stays there, doesn't she? She, she? she would come away from the job that Yovana would have given her. 
Yeah, well, that, that's well, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, I of course, coming from my perspective, I would say that's because she too was, you know, under the spell of love. Yeah. Um, but but uh, how about this for for a hot take? Um, Melian and Thingle was an arranged marriage, um, and therefore, um, <laughs> you know, f- free will for their kin um, really wasn't, you know, really wasn't. Um, a lot of their line was faded, if that's your take. Like that, that was what you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it goes back to the to the song. It goes back to Iru's song. Uh, from yeah. from beginning to end, you know, the whole thing is already orchestrated. It j- the pieces just have to fall into place. So that well, except he says there's no guarantee that they'll achieve his song. That's the thing, right? He says here, here's yeah, here's the song. Now try try to play he it. He plants the seed, so they spend their their life trying to achieve the final goal. You know, they try to. That's what they work towards. Absolutely, but with no guarantee of success. That's 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 why I always fall on when someone says it's all faded. I say, well, no, um, mm. they could have failed. Do you want to hear something ironic? Absolutely. So, nightingales. Uh, it says that you know that they they sing a powerful and beautiful song, um, and <laughs> apparently the male nightingale will sing to attract a mate which I thought was quite ironic because in this story it's arguably the female that is singing to attract a mate. Yeah, big time. Luth- and, and Luthien, you know, anybody who's read the whole book will see strong, strong parallels here between the way Thingol and Luthien fall in love. Yeah. Excuse me, Thingol and, and Melian fall in love and the way Beren Barium. falls yeah. in I love with Luthien. But we, I, I don't find the bird analogy so, so weird, uh, Ads, because... Um, Within ourselves, male and female, we have a bit of both. So this, the, the nightingale could be Melian's masculine aspect. You know, she goes and okay. she goes yeah. and gets. Yeah. She, you know, it's kind of like the the predatorial aspect. She goes the hunter's aspect. So she is female, but that would be an expression or a symbol of her more masculine side. You know, so she's courting this guy, right? So she she is she's the one making the first move towards you know the apple of her eye. You know what I mean? Like, but did, okay, okay. But does does she does she know the nightingales are bringing Thingol to her her glade? I would think so. I would think those nightingales are are guides. I think they guide uh, Thingol because they show him the way to that glade. He follows those birds. I've- I think he hears the birds and goes towards them. I don't think her intention is to. Uh, no, I don't. I disagree. I think I, I, I see. Uh, again, I, but I think it's all <laughs> it's all happenstance. So, uh, so listeners, you have you have three choices. If you'd like to vote uh, <laughs> by Twitter, <laughs> it's a tricky one, though, isn't I, it? I mean, it can be. Again, it's it's all on applicability. Uh, all three of us have taken a very slightly different interpretation of what that page and a half means for me for me the the nightingales are similar to the will-o'-wisps you know they kind of they're the breadcrumbs that lead you to where you're supposed to be you know they yeah well the the nightingales we we agree that the nightingales led them what we don't agree about is 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 whether or not that was the intention um, I agree that, that the Nightingales led Thingle to her. I just don't think that that was her intent. I don't think she was put, casting out a spell to make someone fall in love with her, whereas you think that was her, that was the point of, of her going in there. 
So, so with regards to that <laughs> that well-travelled question, uh, you know, is it fated or is it free will? Do you think it is completely free will then with this? Um, because I would say that Thingol, bless him, doesn't have much free free will for the two hundred odd years that he's held in Melian's enchantment. Because his free will, as I sort of showed earlier, was for him to go off to a man. No, see, I see it as his his priorities changed and straight away. Yeah, he just once yeah, you're in love, yeah. um, you know, the other things just become secondary. And it was no longer a priority for him. He, he now had a number one, a new number one priority. But I, I question um, this idea of love at first sight, you know, because you can be infatuated with someone. It could be lust, but is it really true love? You know what I mean? So he. he it happened for me, May. It happened for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the night that you, the maybe, night that you met your wife, your future wife, you knew right there and then that you were yeah. going to drop everything and just. That's wonderful. I did, but I I question this the v- validity because he like Ad says he is held captive in a non-aggressive way, but he he is held in this altered state of mind for a good long time, and I think for love to develop, I mean love is more than the superficial attraction that you may feel for someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, but this is fairy tale love. And they spent 200 years falling in love with each other. But they don't talk. They're holding hands. Well, 90% of communication <laughs> is nonverbal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is, this is going to a dangerous place. Um, I'm just going to back up a little sec. Um, in the text, I don't think it's dangerous. I think this is the, this is the best part. Um, how, about, how, about, how about this, right? It says in the text... Later on, great power Melian lent to Thingol. Yes, thank you. <laughs> lent. Well, you don't lend someone if you love them. Oh, it's a, it's a different... No, no, you're, the word lent doesn't mean what, what we would use it modernly. Lent means um, uh, bestowed, means, um, means uh, uh, granted. It doesn't mean okay. um, gave temporarily like we would interpret it. Because I sound like I'm completely on May's side here. I do think there is love. I don't necessarily think that there was love at the start. I think love grows for Melian. um, Because I know what happens later on. But I question question the, the reason why Thingol came to be standing in a glade with Melian at that point. I'm not going to try to convince you guys that I'm right either. Um, Certainly, I think that there's more than one way to to interpret the chapter, and your perspective is yours and real to you. I just, I can't really see it that way, uh, even if I try, because to me, it's it's just, it's, um, I've always loved it as a a metaphor uh, and and hyperbole for the feeling of falling in love. So all the things that that you, you, um, you see as, as, uh, you know, unrealistic i i take as as uh poetic i guess and that you know so there's no way we have to agree or even can agree with those two sort of different takes you know no definitely not i mean i, I don't i don't necessarily uh, sound silly i don't necessarily disagree with you i just i just see it different yeah i can that- i can understand where you're coming from and that's the first that's that that is what i took the first time i read that chapter it's only since i've gone through and looked at it again and again that I am picking up 
other things now that are making me question my original interpretation. Mm. Which is which is really good, actually, because we wouldn't still be talking about it 45 minutes later if we all agreed. No, exactly. Uh, and also, I'll add, I think, I feel like I had a love at first sight moment, which might sound really cheesy and, and whatever, but that that's, when I met my wife, I feel like I had that moment. So, um, this chapter rings really true for me. And so, mm. applicability-wise, um, you know, that there's stuff in this chapter that I don't want to let go of because it, it's, I'm personally linked to it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it does. You know she doesn't listen, though, so you don't have to keep saying this. <laughs> that, it, yeah. That's I'm how you joking, know it's true. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, can, I say, but, um, can I say one other thing? Yeah. Um, just with a view to what is coming in later chapters, uh, people should uh, hold on to the idea that Melian has created some kind of invisible barrier um, because of a powerful spell that, that keeps her and Thingol away from uh, the elves that are looking for him. Keeps because things like, secret and safe. Yeah, um, I think yeah, that's important. For, yeah, well, the, the girdle of Melian is something we're all going to come to know. And yeah. uh, Ads proposed that maybe the girdle of Melian was at work uh, when they couldn't, you know, for the 200 years or whatever it was, that, that nobody could find these two um, lovebirds or um, captive and enchantress, <laughs> whatever you want, however you want to call them. But uh, maybe it was the this, this similar a similar um, piece of magic. The on a smaller scale, the girdle of Melian um, was mm. part of the enchantment. I think that's a really good uh, catch, Ads, and, and uh, something worth mentioning. Um, if I could just add something no, for, else to, for sure. Go ahead, to the the character arc of our Thingle. So I'm not I'm not saying that Thingle is a victim by any shape or form in the sense that, you know, if you take this as being like a classic case of fairy uh, abduction, but um, in in terms of how positive uh, things turn out for him in his character arc, so he um, enters this glade as a lord and he emerges as a king. He becomes a king. He scores himself a queen, a wonderful queen with great power, and together they go on to um, forming like a, a great line of descendants. So uh, this 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 um, this outcome is kind of the final stage of the hero's journey. So uh, uh, going through a a process or a challenge, and then emerging transformed. And in this case, you can think of Thingol as being uh, reborn. Uh, he's uh, spiritually um, um, uh, reborn, physically changed, uh, sexually awakened. So this is the opus magnum, <laughs> to use a very uh, Jungian term. You know, so in the in the in the growth of the psyche, this is the ascension of, of the soul. So so. This is just like a page and a half of a, a nothing story, and yet you get this fantastically rich character arc with uh, a very few words, but you get you get this this wonderful uh, story um, that 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 follows basically the path of this wanderer into like uh, the father of a great line that we're going to see later on. Yeah, big time. That yeah. line becomes the most important bloodline in all of the stories, this book and, and the books to come. Good um, job. Yeah. I I also sort of think we should point out that uh, 
while he did uh, give up uh, lordship for kingship in a way, um, you know, he, he gave up being king of the Teleri. Like, when he disappeared, his brother got to, you know, uh, by default became king of the Teleri who went, um, who continued the journey. So, he, you know, he, he sort of was a king and became a different kind of king. But the, the idea of him being reborn is completely true and a good point. He was transformed and reborn coming out of the... Uh, out of the forest, and at some point, I, I can't remember which letter or which which writing this in. It mentions that he's taller. He was already the tallest of the elves, but I I, I can't remember where I read it. But he's taller when he comes out of the forest. So um, <laughs> definitely transformed. We've seen that before. Yeah, entwash and sex with uh, Melian apparently both make you taller. I don't know which uh, which is easier to find though. That <laughs> enchantress. Um, that is good stuff, guys. That's terrific. I, I and I bet you people who have read it have takes that are similar to ours and and yet their own. So if anybody wants to chime in with um, you know things that they saw, things that resonated with them, um, we're, none of us I don't think have said that they think that they're right. Uh, I certainly don't, and I haven't heard either of you try to wave that flag. Um, this is all uh, out the way we interpreted this information and applied it to the things we know. Like, like May has got a wealth of um, of contextual stories to compare this to. So I, I see exactly why um, you're drawing these these parallels from other things that you know. And I can't say that I don't see them. I do. I just I'm I'm happy with my um, sheltered view of this chapter and, and um, I'm happy to, to, to keep the girdle of Melian around it and keep your evil out of it you too <laughs> cynical but, you know it's wonderful um, James I, I wish I mean I, I can definitely jump on your side of the line and see it the way you do but I, I can't I can't unlearn what I know I can't unsee what I've seen or you know what I mean like I can't I can't wash it out of my head you know so um, so I there, there's there's all kinds of different ways of looking at this, and I think each way has its pluses and its beauty. So very well said, May. I may have I'm, I may have just tweeted, guys, um, a little poll for people. So oh, um, good, that'll be fun yeah. to see. <laughs> We've got what was the meeting of Thingol and Melian? Love at first sight, divine intervention, or fairy abduction? Nice. James very, versus Ads versus May. Very good. <laughs> so there we go. Um, we'll, see, we'll see what comes of that. But uh, I, I think the discussion itself was was terrific. And if, if anything, my you know, like you said, you can only you you're, the mind. Excuse me. The eyes can only see what the mind knows, or something to that effect. And yeah. just talking about it, you know, I can't now unhear the things that you said. And as I read the chapter, some of it will inevitably <laughs> seep into, um, you know, my perspective. And I, I do see the things that you're talking about. I just have always had. I keep using the word naive because I think the, I think it's the right word. I, I've had a more naive and uh, a more um, sort of wholesome. Uh, take on the chapter, uh, and I, I like it that way. So I'm resistant to see other things, but uh, but great conversation. Yeah, the thing is, when you've been married as long as uh, Ole and Yovana have, um, y- you'll you'll see things in a less romantic way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming up on 14 years, buddy. Hey, well done. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I think if I, if I'm going to gain perspective, it's going to be before right before she kills me because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> After about ten years, you know each other so so well that you stop listening to each other's podcasts. Oh bless! <laughs> bless. I, 
I, I'm going to make sure she listens to this one. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, cool. Okay, so uh, we do have other things to talk about, and I don't want to end the chapter uh, discussion just yet, but we are winding it down and coming yep. up to the real reason we're in Rivendell tonight. So I hope one of our listeners' um, ears is burning because one of you um, is going to be highlighted tonight as, as uh, the first in a very special club that we're starting. Yay. So, um, yeah, we're coming, we're coming up to that on another little teaser. Uh, before we get there, though, uh, there was something I wanted to read out of the text here. Um, on the second page, on <laughs> the second of two pages of text, it says, uh, <laughs> but of her there came among both elves and men a strain of the Ainur who were with Iluvatar before Ea. And then at the very end it says, and of the love of Thingol and Melian there came into the world the fairest of all the children of Iluvatar that was or shall ever be. And... Um, no matter what, who you agree with, no matter sort of why you think or how you think they met and fell in love, the byproduct of their love um, was certainly extremely important um, and the bloodline um, incredibly powerful because everybody associated with that um, union and that, um, that you know, sub-creation, that the procreation, their, their bloodline, everybody associated with it is basically the most heroic and important person of their era, of their time, both, both uh, elves and eventually men too, and we'll get to how men get involved um, not too long from now. But that bloodline becomes the most important, and, and he makes a point to say um, right there that uh, of that bloodline will, will come the fairest creature, um, you know, the fairest um, elf especially, uh, ever to walk the earth. But May, you had a slightly different question about that last line, and it is interpretable a different way. Did you want to sort of, um, you know, put out there what, what you took from that last line, which is also pretty cool? Well, um, looking at that diagram, that family tree at the back of the book, um, you see quite a few descendants here, notable descendants. Um, and Luthien being obviously like... Uh, the one that comes uh, first, um, but many, 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 many generations later, we do get <laughs> Aragon, and Aragon is such a central character for the conclusion of the Lord of the Rings. He is, uh, in essence, the king uh, that has returned, and the vanquisher of all evil, kind of thing. So, um, if if Melian and Thingle don't get together then that whole story is not happening. So I'm just, I just th saw this as that last line being the fairest of all the children of Iluvatar being like a plural um, statement. So all of their descendants will be the fairest or the greatest or the this and that, the most important because um, down to the mortal men uh, that Aragon is, uh, uh, we need this uh, union to take place. We need Thingol and Melian to get busy because if they don't, then it's a domino effect. Yeah, no, I, I like that take, and I think I think it is probably specifically designed to be a shout to Luthien. But I think that the there's there's a lot of truth in the fact that their entire line is the fairest. Uh, you know, basically all of their bloodline become. Uh, the fairest, most important, uh, strongest heroes uh, of their time. So, yeah, uh, what yeah, a mean, union that was. 
what what I would say just to add to that is um, I, I totally understand May's May's uh, view of that. I mean, I think that's that's a really sort of a uh, good way of looking at it as well. I do think that's specific about Luthien in that particular moment. And if if we read chapter or chapter, if we read letter three three two from from Tolkien's you know huge collection of letters. There is actually a passage there that says, um, I met the Luthien Tenuvial of my own personal romance with her long dark hair, fair face and starry eyes and beautiful voice. Uh, And in 1934, she was still with me and her beautiful children, but now she has gone before Beren, leaving him indeed one-handed, etc., etc. So Luthien, for Tolkien, was his wife. Yes, even um, their tombstones read Baron and Luthien. Uh, yeah, even so, uh, that that love story was based on how he felt for uh, for his the love of his life, uh, and pays homage to that. Uh, and and that's uh, that's probably another reason I think that the Melian and Thingle thing is is um, on the up and up and on the you know the wholesome level because it's basically the same story that he tells for how he you know how Baron and Luthien fall in love, which are supposed to be him and his wife. Um, so that's part of why I think it's it's uh, a love story as much as I do. But um, yeah, yeah th- that shout is a good one, and uh, it's a you know if you've only read the Lord of the Rings, it's ama- it's amazing to think that Aragorn could be outclassed. But believe it or not, Beren and Arendel and Luthien herself and and a few of the heroes who who are we're about to meet and see what they do in this book um, sort of make Aragorn's exploits look pale in comparison. You know, as hard as that is to believe, it's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that bloodline. Uh, get get used to referring back to that chart and looking at that bloodline. So um, we did it, guys. We talked about something that we didn't totally agree with, but we managed to um, agree to disagree and encourage listeners uh, to read that chapter and figure out what the heck's going on. Because uh, a page and a half and an hour later, we're still talking about it. Yeah, no, I, no, I think uh, I think it was a really good discussion. Terrific, uh, and it's always good to have three perspectives on things. So uh, once again, at the Green Door Pod on Twitter, if you think there's something in there that you wanted to agree with or disagree with or add to the discussion, uh, find us there or find us on Facebook. Now, to the most important part of tonight, uh, I think uh, we'll just start by saying tonight's council called by Elrond. Um, was one that we've known about for a while now. Uh, And Ads and I, and of course May as well, um, have discussed in detail how much we enjoy the participation and interaction from the listeners. And there are a few of you who have really singled yourselves out as uh, super involved and really um, helpful with retweets and engaged and... Uh, we wanted to recognize uh, you. And so we started a club, Ads. Uh, what, what do you want to say about that club, and can you tell people the name? Okay, well, we're really excited about this. We've, As James said, we've, we've been sort of batting this around for a while. We would like to form a club of ring bearers. So we see ourselves announcing at you know various episodes in the future new ring bearers people who we think uh warrant being part of 
you know, a very prestigious group uh, linked to our little podcast, just as a way of saying thank you for all of the, you know, the feedback, the interaction, the help, the, the retweeting, the likes, the comments, you know, just all of the support that you have given us over, you know, for, for now, a relatively short period of time. But um, yeah, we're really excited. We are, and we're going to call our little group of ring bearers the Fellowship, the Green Door Podcast Fellowship, and our first inductee uh, has her ceremony coming up right now, and we're going to cut to that ceremony in just a minute, but uh, I'm going to introduce Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin Alansari is our very first inductee, and she was an easy choice. Yeah! Um, she well was done. an easy choice. Uh, she's been with us right from the beginning. <laughs> she is a super fantastic, uh, ultra-engaged listener. Um, she's got something to nice to say about uh, basically every tweet and every post we put out there. She's always good for a retweet and a share and a comment and a like. And we just yeah. really enjoy um, everything about her. So welcome to the club as the first ring bearer, Caitlin. Um, you can look forward to something in the mail. Um, but right now, uh, you can look forward to the following ceremony. Strangers from distant lands, friends of old. Thank you, Elrond, uh, for the warm welcome and letting us gather here at Rivendell to welcome Caitlin Alansari, our first ring bearer and member of this fellowship club. Uh, we thought we would uh, take a couple of minutes and ask a few of our favorite characters to say a word or two about Caitlin and why it is that we uh, selected her. So, Aragorn, I'll kick it to you first. Why do you think Caitlin belongs in this club? You have a stout heart. Aragorn is right. Aragorn is absolutely right. Uh, and I won't argue with you, Master Gandalf. There is rhyme and reason to our choice. It was no accident that Caitlin was our first selection. Isn't that right, uh, Gimli? That was deliberate. It was deliberate. Yes, it absolutely was deliberate, Gimli. Uh, we picked her on purpose because right from the very beginning, we could see something special in Caitlin. I know what it is you saw. Oh, well, thank you, Galadriel. No surprise there with your foresight. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're just picking people to try to make this the best club we possibly can. It is what will come to pass. Oh, that's very good to know. And it seems when it comes to selecting Caitlin into our club, we all agree. Therefore, in consideration of your kindness, I take pleasure at this time in presenting you with a small token of our esteem and affection. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. So welcome officially to the, uh, the club as the first member, Caitlin. Um, well-deserved, and we know you'll take good care of that uh, ring. Ceremoniously, uh, everything sort of went off without a hitch, and now we just like to take a minute to talk uh, from the heart about why we picked you. Uh, I can say for myself, uh, it was an easy choice as you're the first name to pop up most of the time, and I just enjoy everything about the way you interact with us. And Ads, do you want to add a little bit about uh, why we like Caitlin so much? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, she... 
she is one of, if not our earliest supporter, I would say. She's been brilliant on Facebook, on Twitter. She is always super friendly, super happy, helpful. She has fantastic sort of tweets, you know, her Hobbit life, Funko-style scenes that she does. Um, always make me smile. And I would go as far as saying she's the Yovana of our time. She loves plants. Yeah. Uh, she's she's always putting pictures of uh, her latest her latest uh, plant or flower or whatever. And just welcome to welcome to the fellowship. Welcome to the club. Yeah, um, good shout on the uh, gardening. She does have a couple of green thumbs, not just one but two. Uh, May, do you want to uh, add, add your bit uh, to the Caitlin ceremony? The boys have stolen the words out of my mouth, but Caitlin is a wonderful uh, woman, a, a writer, a mother. Uh, she is true and dedicated to the good things in life, gardening, cooking, and uh, again, um, has great agency when it gets to group discussions, when it gets to... Um, uh, uh, spreading the word about the podcast or about anything Tolkien related. So again, thank you so much, Caitlin, for your time, your attention, and the genuine love that you you give our community. Mm. Yep, uh, perfectly said, May. Thank you. Brilliant. As I was just thinking, we should have May write our lines <laughs> so we don't sound so uh, bumblesome she, next to her uh, eloquence. She does say it perfectly. <laughs> So, uh, May, thank you for that. And, uh, guys, let's, uh, let's end the show by signing off and uh, thanking a few people. I'm going to start myself uh, by saying please look forward to an association coming up with Emotionally 14. Uh, we're working on something behind the scenes. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but I do believe you'll have a new webpage to find our link on in the near future. So look forward to that. And a shout-out to Rob Wade, who has um, got a lot on the, uh, on the stove right now. He's got a lot of balls in the air. And I wish juggling, him nothing juggling. but yeah, a lot. Of, I wish him nothing but luck in the future coming up. Rob Wade, love you, man. Definitely. Um, another shout I want to make before I pass off the mic to ads uh, is back out uh, again to our uh, Facebook group. Um, I know our Twitter community is probably the best way to find us, but recently our Facebook group has been growing uh, at an abnormal rate, and I want to just say thank you to everybody there, and I will try my best uh, to put something out daily to have you guys chime in on because um, I know it's it's the kind of community where every time uh, we get a new member, uh, a lot of love is shown, and I only want to foster that. So thank you to everybody who's been uh, welcoming new members to the Facebook group. Yeah. Ads. Okay, so, well, I think it's, you know, it's my turn to say a massive thank you to, uh, to the boys at Tumbling Sabre uh, who never fail to give us fantastic support week in, week out. So please do go check them out. You'll, you'll often hear James there as well. But, you know, Carl, Corey, Carlos, um, definitely worth a listen. We've got Hope One Hangout. Um, so, again, fantastic podcast. Uh, please do do check them out as well. Another podcast as well, the Prancing Pony podcast. As we discussed earlier on, they do a really, really good job at sort of a similar thing to us, but um, perhaps a slightly higher brow. And then we've got Jeff Lasala of Tor.com and his fantastic Silmarillion Primer. And I'd also like to give a little shout out to Olga and her Middle Earth reflect, Reflections.com. She's awesome. Where she, yeah. yeah, she does some really, really good... Uh, 
just discussion pieces really about about aspects of Tolkien and I would strongly recommend going to check Olga's work out yeah Olga's amazing and I'm going to send my condolences to her her hockey team was eliminated from the playoffs so uh, I can relate Olga um, I'm sorry I'm sorry about that there's always next year uh, now I sound like the Maple Leafs. Okay, uh, May, <laughs> did you want to uh, give a shout to anybody before we wrap okay, it up? Okay, everything you guys said. Plus, I want to give a shout out to Ryan Zimmerman, uh, yeah. who recently yeah. joined uh, our family. And um, uh, I want to say thank you, Ryan, for reaching out. Uh, he also has a love for anything Norse, so we're definitely bonding over this. And perhaps also his uh, penchant towards uh, cosplaying. So uh, good job on the faux fur, Ryan. Looks awesome on you. <laughs> um, I want to shout out also <laughs> to my my uh, critique partners, Danielle and Sarah, who are keeping me uh, sane in this really tumultuous time of deadlines and whatnot. Uh, Jeff Lasala, again, uh, thank you for your um, involvement, for being easy to get in touch with, and for your feedback whenever there is uh, anything pertaining to Tokyo or anything at all. So uh, thanks for being human. And that's it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I think we got to hook up Andy uh, and Ryan, both those guys like the cosplay. So uh, find each other in our Facebook group, guys, because that's fun stuff. Uh, Also, um, before we go, I'm going to say one last uh, shout out to you guys uh, who find the time to get together with me um, every couple of weeks and do this little show. So thanks, guys. Aww. Thank you. Cheers, no, buddy. thank well, you, guys. Likewise. Yes. Likewise. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, if, if there's anybody we forgot to say thank you to, it's not for lack of wanting to. We uh, we do our best to keep everybody engaged, and we do appreciate it from everyone. Um, you know, there's there's new people like uh, Pepper uh, chiming in in the Facebook group. And, and, and you know, I, now I did make a point to say her name, but she could have easily been left out of the, uh, the group mentions. But we, it's not that we don't appreciate all of you. Um, it's just that uh, we're growing so fast we can't mention everyone anymore. Sure. So. And also, I mean, I mean, Pepper's, that last thing she did in the Facebook group, I think that was probably one of the best um, posts we'd ever had. So It might have been the uh, best we've had so far. Tom That's why Bombadil. I made a point to mention yeah. it now. You're absolutely right. Uh, and... and like I like we've we've said before, it's only going to grow from here. So I mean, we won't be able to mention everybody every week like Ads has been doing. But just know that your your, your uh, contributions are very much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. We've got some got some some musical thanks as well, James. We're on, we're on, we're at that part of the show. Um, yeah. As as you noticed on the way in, as always, uh, from at Beyond the Guitar. Uh, we had Nathan Mills, and Nathan's channel is just amazing. He's got millions of hits, and somehow he still lets our little um, our little outfit use his music. So uh, hopefully he doesn't get so big um, that we <laughs> we'll have to renegotiate. But for now, all we want to say is thank you and keep up the good work, Nathan. Yeah. Um, and right now you're probably hearing Harry Merle play us out, and uh, Harry's got just as much talent on his own uh, YouTube channel. So please uh, check out both of those fine musicians. Most certainly. Okay, guys. It's time to say goodnight, so I'm going to uh, grab some Lembas bread before I head out uh, for the hike. The council circle is uh, feel, getting pretty dark. Um, I'll say to you Are guys, we, don't go jogging in the dark. Yeah, we we, uh, well, you guys can stay here if you want to, but i got to make it back for sunrise because uh, I've got uh, to teach school in Hobbiton in the morning. <laughs> oh, I'm going to hang out the night. <laughs> 
I'm gonna see. Yeah, I'm for you. I'm gonna see if Legolas is anywhere around here. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Um, well, Good thanks, stuff. everybody. Uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, have a great night until you uh, tune in again to Episode 9. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you Thank then. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's it. I said the C word. <laughs> That's it. <laughs>